streaming services make it so easy. You watch one episode and five seconds later, Netflix starts the next one for you. Before you know it, it's 2 a.m., you're done with your series and you're looking for the next one. It's called binging, and probably most of us have consumed a television show or two like that. But is binging entertainment healthy? After all, we know that consuming too much sugar or fat or alcohol is not good for you. What about TV? Hello there, everyone. I'm Paul Acey, hosting another episode of The Plugged In Show. Kennedy Unthank, Emily Clark, and Jonathan McKee and I will be chewing on that subject of binging today. And once we're done with that, Emily and I will take a look at the Netflix show that plenty of viewers have binged. That's Bridgerton, a show that might look like a Jane Austen story at first, but as Jane Austen herself might say, looks can be kind of deceiving. And then once again, our producer Ashley will lead us in a raucous round of pop culture connection. But before we dive into all that, let's start with a little self-confession. I have a question. As I mentioned, probably all of us have done at least a little bit of binging. And maybe because of our jobs here at Plugged In, we're kind of forced to binge quite a bit. Uh, With that in mind, what's the biggest movie or TV binge that you've done, either for work or just for yourselves? Uh, I can start. Yeah, I actually... I uh, love The Amazing Race. Uh, <laughs> and they have a good majority of the seasons on Hulu. And I ended up watching pretty much an entire season <laughs> in one day because I just had day. to know who was going to win. <laughs> man, oh, man. I love that show. You you want to be on that show, if, one if day, I recall. One day. One day? All right. We'll be looking forward to A boy to that. can dream. <laughs> Emily, what about you? Oh, man. Uh, I'm scared to confess how many times I have binged to you guys. Um, I I think I've mentioned on the podcast before, I've uh, frequently binged the entire Lord of the Rings trilogy extended editions. I do that like once a year, probably. But Once a year? All in one day? Yeah. All, all, either one day or one weekend. It depends on if I have plans going on <laughs> that weekend. Uh, but yeah, no, I've done it. Oh man, I've watched multiple seasons of multiple shows in a single weekend. Like, especially like if there's a movie or something coming out, and uh, and I want to remind myself of what happened in the TV series. So yeah, it's <laughs> I have a problem, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> So really, this episode, we're going to be talking directly to you. Yes, this episode is for me. <laughs> That's good. Well, That's good. well we, are, we are in a circle, so we can share our problems right here. My <laughs> That's name is exactly Emily, right. It's a safe, a safe space. Lord is. of the Rings very. is very similar to The Amazing Race in a lot of aspects. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Sometimes just full-grown people actually having the race, an amazing race, versus <laughs> hobbits and Free dwarves feet and, and stuff. That. Exactly. Well, I've confessed before, you know, that if I was just answering it, me selfishly alone, it would be the FX series Justified because I I just love it so much. But you mentioned maybe we were forced to watch a series like, you know, maybe (laughs) maybe like with our family or something like that. So I'm going to share what my wife really likes. And I got to admit, I I got sucked in. I I, she started watching Heartland and she's like, let's try it. She's like, it's got horses and it's in Canada and it's beautiful. <laughs> and so um, I tried it and literally just the scenery and the horses and stuff alone is good. The writing, I, yeah, anyway, but, but it, it is, it, it's kind of an innocent show. 
and it's a fun show. It's fa- I, I think it's like kind of the modern little house in the prairie in a way. So uh, not a lot of innocent stuff on TV. And I got to admit, actually enjoy that show. Uh, so we, we've actually binged sometimes way more. Sometimes on a Saturday <laughs> we sat down and before we know it, we're like, how many episodes did we just watch? So uh, yeah, no, good stuff. Good stuff. I think that a lot of our, our listeners are actually right there with you. I think Heartland is kind of a popular show with a lot of people. So I feel uh, I feel bad. My, uh, my binging confession is a lot like yours, Emily. <laughs> so when I was working for a daily paper, I convinced them I was not doing entertainment, but for some reason I convinced them that that once the new the Return of the King extended edition DVD mm-hmm. came out, I was mm-hmm. gonna watch the whole thing just straight. Fourteen hours, thirteen hours, something like something that. Something right? crazy like that, yeah. Um yeah, so I was gonna go ahead and do that for a story. And sure enough, I did. So I gave myself 10-minute bathroom breaks in between the movies. I oh, was able man. to pick up a cookie or something like that in between. But for the most part, I just watched the thing all the way through. And I tell you, by the end, I was seeing ants on my front lawn. <laughs> it was really startling. It was stunning how much just 14 hours in front of a screen just messed me up for the rest of the week. Not for the faint mm. of heart. <laughs> Not for the faint of heart. And you do it every year. I know. Oh, my god. Like goodness. I said, I have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> so if if it is a problem, a lot of people have it. According to Britannica.com, 73% of Americans admit to binge watching, with the average binge lasting more than three hours. Uh, millennials are the most avid bingers, with about 90% of them admitting to doing it. Uh, Gen Z is the next most avid audience generationally speaking about 86 percent of them do it why in your guys's estimation why is binging so popular emily oh man i just see here's my question you know uh people binge when i binge i'm typically not just sitting in front of the screen watching the film unless it's lord of the rings i actually usually do pay attention to that one but like if i'm watching a tv series or something i've usually already seen it when I'm binge, by the time mm. I get to the binging part, like it's usually me going back and rewatching a series that's already been completed so I can watch it from start to finish. I don't know. I think that if it's a background activity more so than the main activity, you may not even realize it. Like, it's a lot easier. It's just like background mm. noise. Um, I know Kristen Smith, another plugged dinner has you know she's talked about that a lot how it's like it's nice to just have a show in the background sometimes when we're doing very menial tasks but i mean that's what i do like i'll be playing a game video game or i'll be building a puzzle or something i just like to have that show that you know i'm familiar with i'm interested in the story if i want to look up and watch like you know a full episode i can but i don't have to be fully committed to the entire binge experience i don't know yeah i think uh, in particular with the millennials and gen z i think a large part of it is because both generations have kind of grown up in a saturated culture where a lot of stuff is based around more more and more instant gratification i mean you talk about something like the microwave you know that's one example that i just find fascinating is the microwave came out in like 1945 it's not even been around for 100 years and that completely transformed cooking, you know, where now you can make something in less than five minutes, you know. 
Um, But now you have the same thing going on in entertainment where it used to be that each episode would come out uh, once per week, maybe even once per month, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, But now, you know, you have streaming services like Netflix and Hulu who make their own original series and they drop the whole thing on you in one day. And people, you know, who have grown accustomed to getting a lot of things instantly from text messages to, like I said, microwaves and all that stuff. Um, Now you have that in entertainment where you can just watch the whole thing. You really want to know what happens next and you don't have to wait for it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's a big part of it. But one thing that you mentioned, Emily, that, that I find pretty fascinating is what qualifies as a binge, because I've done the same thing that you've done, mm-hmm. where you flip on something in the background, but your brain is actually engaged in something else. Mm-hmm. What would qualify as an actual entertainment binge? I think it just depends on how invested you are. Like if you're for example, Downton Abbey is coming out with another new movie, and my my future mother and sister-in-law are currently binging the entire series, and then they're going to watch the first movie that came out before they go to theater to watch this new movie. And it's because it's been, like, I think three years since the last movie came out, and before that it was, like, I think, again, three years since the series had come out, so... And they're doing a proper binge. They are sitting in front of the TV, actually engaged in what they're watching. They're talking about it. The TV is the main thing. Anything else they're doing is actually the background activity, you know? So I think that's what qualifies as a binge. Is it the primary task of what you're doing or is it the background task of what you're doing? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. One of the things that I think about as we're dealing with this issue is that we're also dealing with a culture, not only as you said, Kennedy, that is used to satisfying your needs right away, but you're dealing with a lot of different screens. You know, there are so many, many more screens available than there ever were before. And it seems like binging really um, caters to that ubiquitousness of screens, right? I mean, you can watch it on TV, you can watch it on your computer, you can watch it on your phone. Um, And it seems like just from what I would think it would be, it would be binging would be a little more isolationist. Mm -hmm. You know, although I think it's kind of cool that your family is actually, your future family is actually binging this together. (laughs) But it seems like, like there's sort of an isolationist impulse and it takes us away from sort of this communal viewing environment. Jonathan, I know that you have tons of experience talking with families and stuff. Is is that something that you've noticed uh, just when talking with moms and dads? Yeah, I, I mean, there's there's two sides to this. On one hand, this can be something fun to do as a family. And I think that's where binging can be a good thing. I bet during COVID, there was times where families were like, hey, let's just take the day and watch something fun. And they, and they did do the Lord of the Rings series or whatever, and, and probably some good memories there. Sadly, what ends up happening very much is kind of that isolating, you know, mindset that happens. And and I think it's because a lot of us now that we, you know, have these devices in our back pockets, we've seen it in the workplace. We've seen it in the hallways and the waiting rooms. Now, you know, where people used to maybe sit and talk with each other, now they just kind of quickly retreat to pulling out their phones, staring down at their phones. So we see a lot of times where families might have, you know, when kids finish their homework, they might have wandered downstairs and, hey, what you doing? And hanging out together. Now it's like, okay, I'm upstairs in my bedroom, binging an entire season of, you know, whatever's popular at the moment. And there's the whole fact that it's unmonitored as well, you know, and so that whole brings up a whole nother host of issues. Right, right, absolutely. 
Yeah, and I, th- I think that one of the things that people can instantly recognize is when it has become a bit too much for them. I know for myself, at least, if I've watched like two, three episodes, when I leave the screen, I feel groggy <laughs> and I feel like, whoa, what time is it? You know, What year and is it? <laughs> it? You know, it's like I just woke up. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's something that is an indication that you need to know how long how long to give yourself, how long to moderate it, you know, how how far you should uh, allow yourself to watch. Uh, and also, like I said, in practicing self-control, I think it's a a good a good way to exercise that fruit of the spirit. Yeah, yeah. You know, in some ways, when I think about this conversation, my my brain sort of goes back to, you know, the medieval idea of the seven deadly sins, right? You know, you have you have sloth and, and lust and envy and all these these terrible things that you were told to avoid, and, and for good reason. And gluttony was always one of those sins. It always struck me as sort of an outdated sin in some ways when we're a little more food secure these days. Unless like, you go to Golden Corral. unless you go to golden corral that's absolutely right but but when i think about it when we look at our entertainment culture that's so saturated with media it does seem like it's it might be more current than ever Mm -hmm. but as i listen to you guys talking there's nothing wrong with enjoying good food with family you know thanksgiving Mm -hmm. we all gather around and we eat too much and we enjoy each other's company maybe the problem the gluttony that comes in from entertainment comes when you're consuming a little bit more isolated, a little bit more alone. Yeah, I think it's that. I think it's also, you know, what Kennedy just said. If you're if you're at the point where you're just like, man, I feel like I don't even know what just happened over the past 12 hours. Like, that's kind of a problem, you know? Lord of the Rings. Rings. Okay, there's a reason for that arbitrary number. It's not so arbitrary. No, but but seriously, you have to you have to evaluate how much time you are spending in front of the screen. Adam Holtz just wrote a great article on our blog that's about, it was about a study where they realized that if people, rather than trying to cut themselves off cold turkey, if they just tried to reduce the amount of time they spent on their screen by one hour every day, it was actually easier to maintain that over a lifetime. Um, You know, I think it was like three months later, the people who quit cold turkey were back right at their habits before the study, maybe even worse, whereas the people who had just done the reduction in their screen time were able to maintain it and they were spending Mm -hmm. less time on their screens overall. Yeah, yeah. So as we look at this issue and as we think about, you know, moms and dads, what can they do to encourage good habits? You know, when you're talking about screens, when you're talking about binging, what can moms and dads do? Jonathan, you have some thoughts on that? Well, well, the study that Emily just shared, uh, and that was a great article that uh, Adam wrote there, you know, let's springboard off that because that alone was kind of a really good reaction instead of the full-fledged overreact, let's remove all screens and, you know, pack up our bags and move to Amish, Pennsylvania. You know, <laughs> it's, it's more of a, unless you already live there because they're actually going through the same struggles. Um, the fact is, you know, this is a way of saying, hey, I'll tell you what, let's get this in check a little bit. Let's as a family... What if we, as a family, and discussing it around the dinner table, what if we made a few changes? What if we made sure that we had no tech at the table? What if we, you know, took a night off from screens altogether and, you know, no tech Tuesdays, whatever, you know, what if we 
tried to limit, you know, I think we're all spending a little bit too much time on screens. What if we tried to trim it by 45 minutes a day or something like that? It's not an overreaction. It's engaging in an interaction with our families about what can we do to take these steps and uh, maybe engage our kids in a healthy dialogue about it get their opinions on it, um, share some of the studies and the results, and then say, what do you think? And listen to what they have to say. I think as well is, uh, as a parent, you know, obviously you got to practice what you're preaching. If you're going to say that, you know, hey, my kid can only watch two hours of, of screen, then you should probably only limit yourself to two hours of screen as well. You know, I think that it just really comes down to if you're going to make your kids commit to it, you as a parent have to commit to it too. Yeah, And, you know, I would just say, just to kind of give you guys a jumping off point, when Netflix says, do you want to keep watching? (laughs) You know, that's when you should sit there and you should just be like, you know what? No, just just, (laughs) just start there. Just say instead of saying yes, because you want to see what's happening next. Just just give yourself time to rest, to think about what you just watched, you know, sleep on it. And then the next day you can restart from where you were and you could be like, okay, now I have, I have more energy because I'm rested now. I didn't waste my entire day or my entire night binging this series because I had to know how it ends and, you know, plan out how you're going to watch the series. You could be like, you know what? I really want to binge this new Star Trek show, but you know what? I'm going to limit myself. I'm going to do two episodes a night. And then when I get to the season finale, because I think sometimes those are extended you know i'll watch the season finale on one evening and that way i'm not you know spending 20 hours on my screen i'm spending you know two right right yeah and i think uh something else to consider is quite a few years ago now actually there was a study on children uh, regarding self-control and it was it's a pretty famous study where they would take a child who was like no older than 10 i think they were around six they put him in a room with a marshmallow, and they said, <laughs> "If you, uh, do not eat the marshmallow, and I'm going to leave the room, and if I come back and the marshmallow's still here, you can have two marshmallows. And they found, you know, some of the kids would eat the marshmallow when they left. Some of them would wait, even though it was very obvious that they wanted to eat the marshmallow. Uh, they would wait, and when they got back, they got the second marshmallow, and the kids who ate it before they left the room did not get the second marshmallow. They ended up going back to those same kids like a decade or two later and they're adults now or at the very least in college and they found that the kids who had eaten the marshmallow while the people had left the room and who had in general less self-control they continuously were still doing worse academically and financially than the kids who had waited to waited for the second marshmallow. And so something to consider for parents is let's figure out how to engage in those self-control activities. And I think this is a really good stepping stone to start doing that. I think that's an excellent point. And that's a good place, I think, to wrap up our conversation right now, because it really is all about it is all about moderation. Right. You know, it's about putting limits on yourself as Mm -hmm. a parent and helping your, your children understand the importance of healthy limits. When it comes to everything, but, but I, you know, especially when it comes to entertainment, you know, I think that there's something to be said for that for sure. Thank you so much for this conversation. We've talked a lot about streaming over the last uh, several minutes. We're now going to talk about a show that many, many, many people have streamed. According to Netflix's own figures, Bridgerton is one of its most 
popular shows ever. In fact, the second season was, I think, the third most popular show ever on the streaming service. Viewers watched a total of 560 million hours in just the series' first 17 days. So why, Emily, is this show so popular? Why are so many people watching it? Okay. It's, (laughs) It's Pride and Prejudice mixed with the drama of Gossip Girl. We find ourselves seated beside each other. I would like to think you're happy about that. It would be better if you refrained from thinking about me at all. I'm aware of your reputation. I'm anything but interested in you. And I, anything, be interested in you. It pulls you in. It's very, it's a very intriguing story. And, you know, the... I'm going to give the show credit where it's due. The costumes are beautiful. The, you know, the music is really well done. The storyline is very interesting. The acting is also just phenomenal. But this show, there is, I, mm, this is not a show you need to be watching. I'm just going to say it. It is not Jane Austen. It is, I said, if it's Jane Austen, uh, if, with like the drama of Gossip Girl, it's actually more gratuitous than Gossip Girl. You still you have people using drugs, you have people having sex. There's a lot of uh, nudity. I mean, just it, wow. it's it's a lot. And you know, I I think the reason it's so popular is because people love Jane Austen. They love a good period piece. They like looking back on that historical piece and feeling like they're a part of it. They're like, oh, I wish I was born in that time period. But this particular representation of that time period is just so, it's so much, you know? And I, I know that like the first season was more so than the second season. Um, You know, a lot of the sexual content in the second season didn't actually even show up until I think the final two episodes or something like Mm. that. And I, not our viewers, but other fans of the show were like, oh, why don't we get any of that kind of content until the last two episodes? Like they were almost upset that it didn't show up until the final two episodes. And I was just like... Honestly, it was kind of wild to me that that's where we were, you know? And yeah. I, so uh, to be honest, why is it so popular? Because I think it just, it touches on all the things that people desire. Hmm. And that's and that's the word I want to use. It's a lustful desire for that time period, for that kind of drama, and for that kind of gratuitous content. So that's really fascinating, actually, that word desire, because I do think that there is a desire. That's one of the attractions of these period dramas, mm-hmm. right? The the glamour, the the outfits, the, the idea of a simpler world. But it yeah. also seems like this show sort of overlays a more 21st century ethos it does moral ethos on you know a 19th century story well you know it's kind of weird because i remember in the first season that you know one of the things was a young woman uh she got caught in a garden with a man and they were doing stuff but like the whole thing was he had to marry her because he had he had basically dishonored her. So he had to marry her in order to restore her honor. And when you think about that, it's like, so they do have a sense of propriety. They just don't exercise that sense. You know, Mm. they're, they're just kind of like, well, I'm going to take liberties with this person's honor anyways, 
because we yeah. ha- like you said that 21st century ethos but um and you know it, it happened again in the uh the second season there is a young woman uh her mother actually manipulates it so that she would be caught alone in a room with a man unchaperoned and they were not doing anything but basically the mom manipulated the situation so that her daughter could marry this yeah. guy and it was like it's crazy it's yeah. oh it's weird <laughs> it's a weird show so for families who really love period dramas clearly this is not it no this is not the drama you were looking for literally anything else <laughs> well let me that actually brings up a question for for moms and dads for families for people who just enjoy those jane austen type of stories are there other directions that you could point them to perhaps there are some shows done by pbs masterpiece that are a little more tame they do still have their content issues um you know you i just mentioned, reviewed sanditon right i just reviewed sanditon it, it had its content issues but it is not gratuitous it is not you know like let's show you all this nudity or anything like that it, it doesn't even cross that line and you know i was talking about downton abbey earlier that's another period piece that it definitely has its content issues. Please read our reviews before you watch these series. But they if you're looking for something more tame, those are some good examples of something that you could probably, if nothing else, you could probably dance around some of the content issues by skipping an episode or uh, skipping certain parts of an episode if mm. you really wanted to. And check out our reviews to learn more. So, yes. so it looks like maybe Bridgerton is a Bridgerton too far. (laughs) All right, ladies and gentlemen, it is now time for Pop Culture Connection with Ashley, our producer. Hello. It's always one of my favorite sections, even though I never, ever win. So we shall go. Without further ado, I'll turn it over to you. No, you won. I was going to say, I don't think that's accurate. You did. You were were like... I'm trying you to get the man. I'm trying to get pity points, all right? Oh, I'm just my. trying to get extra points. <laughs> you know what? I think you just got negative a million points for trying yeah, yeah. to negative swindle of all million representation. <laughs> Ashley here. <laughs> all right. So up first, let's do Kennedy. Oh, again? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want oh, to hear it. <laughs> all right. If you were the captain of a pirate ship, what would be the name of your ship and why? Uh, it would be pirated content. <laughs> uh, and the reason why is because we work for Plugged In. Obviously, we don't pirate anything. Don't take that away from this. Never. But I think it would be an ironic twist of events because we have so many accounts with streaming services like Netflix and Hulu. Uh, in addition, uh, obviously, it's a pun on pirate. And, yeah, I watch a lot of content. So that's about it. I mean, I don't know how many points that's going to get me. <laughs> but I don't really have much else to say. But it was creative. <laughs> so. Creative points, for sure. That's I counted awesome. five. That's very good. Okay. Also so, very generous. Fun fact. I knew the answer to this before you even gave your answer. Uh, I'm one of those weird people where I have, you know, brainstormed many different ideas <laughs> for novels and such in my head. I'm like, oh, maybe someday I'll write this story. And one of the stories that I came up with was a pirate story. And um, mine was, I, I believe the name that I came up with was The Widow's Lament. Ooh, that's good. That's yeah, nice. that's good. All right, so Emily, you get to go next. Yay. Let's see. Your question is, 
Who is cooler, Han Solo or Indiana Jones, and why? Han Solo. He is a intergalactic smuggler. He's a pirate, you know? He's a gunslinger. He ha- his best friend is Chewbacca. He helps Luke. He is he marries Princess Leia. He Oh my gosh, he is handsome. I'm sorry. <laughs> Young Harrison Ford. <laughs> the way Harrison Ford got that role where he didn't even properly audition is just so amazing. Uh, Nice. There you go. All right. Well, I'm going to give you eight points for that one. It was very nice. A wrong answer, but very nice. But it was so hard, too, because Harrison Ford in both roles, right? I know. know. That was was half the thing. (laughs) All right. Jonathan, let's have you go next. Sure. And the correct answer was Harrison Ford in Blade Runner. (laughs) All right. Jonathan, who do you think is the most underrated actor of all time and why? Ben Foster. Love him. Anything he's in, he's great. He was great in uh, Hell or High Water, uh, or as focused listeners know it as, Heck or High Water. Um, He was uh, really good in, oh my gosh, I mean, he was like in dumb films, and he'll bring the role to life. The Punisher, um, the guy is just an underrated actor, and everything he's in, I've got to see, because he's amazing, and I don't care about points. (laughs) So two things to say about that. One, for listeners who are interested in checking out a good Ben Foster movie, Leave No Trace. It's rated PG, and it is excellent. If you can track that down, it is well worth a watch. Number two, we just reviewed a Ben Foster movie called The Survivor, which is on HBO Max. So just a little bit of a plug there. Nice, nice. Well, Jonathan, I gave you four points for that, but it was a really good answer. (laughs) All right, Mr. AC. All right. Are you ready? With my negative million handicap. All right. Okay, that was not an official handicap. You're not allowed to use that as an excuse. (laughs) Here we go. Paul, what do you consider to be the best action flick ever and why? It's got to be Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? You have that that opening scene. You also have Harrison Ford in his best role ever. You've got the whip. <laughs> You've got uh, that great chase within the market. I tell you, I love the whole melting of the face scene at the very end. It's so cool. You go from from action to action to action to action. It's just a super fantastic thrill ride. My parents did have to, to cover my sister's eyes when... One of those people got torn up by a plane. But oh goodness! Oh goodness! Well, surprised they didn't have to cover her eyes for the face melting. Right? They, I, I think they were out of the theater in the lobby <laughs> by then. Mm. All right. Well, this week's winner is Emily. Oh, Good job, Emily. Job, I'm doing a little happy dance for those of you listening at home. <laughs> it's true. She is. <laughs> Oh, man, I'm so sad that I'm lost, but I'm so happy we had this conversation. Thank you so much for listening with us today on The Plugged In Show. And if you want to binge a few episodes of this show, we won't stop you. Why we're so grateful to have you here that for a gift of any amount sent to our parent ministry, Focus on the Family, we'll send you a copy of Jonathan McKee's timely and relevant book, Parenting Generations Screen. Check out our show notes or the Plugged In blog for more information or call 1-800-A-FAMILY. But now we want to hear more from you. Do you binge your favorite shows? Why? Do you think binging makes stories more or less enjoyable? Have you watched Bridgerton? 
Tell us all about it on Facebook or Instagram. We won't judge you, we promise. Thanks again for spending a little time with us. We hope you'll connect with us again during the next episode of The Plugged In Show.